Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. It is Conservation Week, and part of our Conservation Week programming includes this conversation with Mandy Harling, Director of Education and Outreach Programs, and Teresa Carroll, Education and Outreach Program Coordinator. This is such a good conversation. We're covering our three. We're covering tips for how to be a better hunting mentor, what you need to know to get started helping other people get in. This conversation doesn't need any more introduction. We're going to hop right in in 90 seconds. Hey, y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're spring turkey hunting or spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access Podcast. We're here with Mandy Harling, the Director of Education and Outreach Programs, and Teresa Carroll, Education and Outreach Program Coordinator with the NWTF. And we're going to be talking all about our three, our, um, our work recruiting hunters, our work doing outreach events. Um, but before we get into that, um, let's start with Teresa. Teresa, introduce yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the organization um, and what you do. Okay. Um, again, I'm Teresa Carroll. I've been with NWTF now going on 17 years. Just uh, celebrated my 16th anniversary um, several months ago. And I work with our local and state chapters. I have the privilege of working with our volunteers uh, most of the time on education and outreach events. And uh, I started working with NWTF uh, years ago in the Women in the Outdoors program. And uh, through the years have now began working with um, all of the programs along with Mandy. All right. And so congrats, by the way, on 17 years. That's an achievement. Um, 
Well, uh, I guess let's go to Mandy then. Mandy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how you started with the NWTF, what you do. Okay, absolutely. I um, I volunteered for an event that we used to hold many years ago. Um, I was working nearby a state park, and I was invited to come out and see the event and volunteered and thought to myself, man, this is the dream right here, working with, um, it was our Jake's program, and working with those volunteers and the kids, I just fell in love with the mission and the programs. And not too long after that, the national Jake's coordinator position became available. And so I applied and I was selected for that position. And I have, um, I will celebrate my 20th anniversary with NWTF in September. So um, Teresa and I have been around for quite some time and we um, we love what we do. And and I think it's apparent to those that we work with that we have fun and we work hard and it's all because we love our mission. Um, I worked with the Jake's program for I'm not sure about five or six years. And then we combined all of the outreach programs into one department. And that's when Teresa and I began working together and um, we've been together ever since. Yeah. I mean, you guys are like practically a, a married couple at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. We, we could write a book about all of our adventures and um, you know, the ups and downs that we've seen through the years, but um, like I said, the one thing that keeps us here is uh, working with our volunteers and then getting to experience uh, our events and uh, the work that the NWTF does. Seeing that firsthand is just something that's hard to even describe. It, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So speaking of that, um, this episode is going to be dropping um, on Conservation Week, um, which is uh, in in a, in a large part about highlighting the work of our our volunteers, the work of local chapters, um, and obviously a big part of what we do as an organization. You know, it's in our bylines, not just wild turkey conservation, but also hunting heritage and um, passing along those those hunting traditions, bringing in new people to the, the world of hunting. Um, Mandy, uh, Conservation Week is happening at the time that this podcast will be released. And uh, for our volunteers who were at NLC, um, they will have gotten to see Mandy present um, some really interesting info about R3. Um, and I wanted to just kind of do a little bit of a dive into that. Um, uh, we'll also talk more about um, our outreach and events programs um, and kind of what we have going on with that and why that's important to us as an organization. Um, but I guess maybe to kick things off, um, Mandy, is it fair to say like the, the kind of predominant thoughts about what R3 is and how it's worked? Um, has, have you seen that change quite a bit over, over your time working uh, in, in that area? Well, I've seen it evolve, I would say. Um, 
We became involved very early on with recruitment retention and reactivation efforts. Our CEO at the time, Becky Humphreys, um, came from a state wildlife agency background and was aware of some of the research that was taking place and some of that early work. Um, and she helped me get involved with R3 by connecting me with the Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sports. And I was actually part of the group that wrote that first initial R3 plan. Um, mm. So I have seen it change and evolve over time. But really, the the whole intent of that work has not changed. Um, and I can, I can give you some of the background that I shared at NLC that I think is helpful. So first of all, R3 is recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So it's it's really the stages that a person goes through before they adopt any sport. So you could apply it. It's based off of the outdoor recreation adoption model, which could be applied to golf or to tennis or any sport, um, but also to hunting. So you first have to be aware, you know, that something exists and that you're interested in getting involved in it. And that's the recruitment stage. And really when I started with, the NWTF, most of our events fell in that re that recruitment stage. And today there's still a lot of recruitment events that take place across the country. And they're, they're very necessary because if you don't know that you're interested in something, you can't get involved in it. So uh, recruitment is the important first step. And then you move to retention. And retention is um, really focusing on keeping those people engaged with hunting or shooting. And um, so you have to, hunting is a little different, you know, with a golf club, you can probably pick it up, figure it out, and you can pretty much um, play golf. But hunting is so different because um, there are so many different elements to it. Just think about turkey hunting and the calling and the scouting and um, the conservation side to it that, um you know, if you want to plant your own food plots, you got to know how to do that. There's just so many steps to it. Learning to shoot a gun, um, learning turkey behavior. And then what do you do with the turkey afterwards? So how do you field dress a turkey? Um, you know, how do you cook the meat? So hunting is pretty involved. Um, and those retention events give people multiple opportunities to try hunting and um, then, you know, to decide they to continue moving forward with learning and then reactivation is just what it sounds like it's um it refers to those who have lapsed so maybe they were hunters and then um, they had a family didn't have the time they used to have to hunt so they got out of it and then once their children grow up they get back into hunting we see that a lot it also happens when when youth graduate from high school, move away from home, go to college, they don't have a place to hunt or they're not sure you know, where they can hunt. And so they might fall into that reactivation once they graduate and you know, move into the real world. So those are the three stages that we're referring to. And, um, you know, NWTFs, like I said, been involved since the beginning. Um, why we got involved is because participation in hunting uh, has been on the decline since around the 1980s. Right now, um, it's estimated that there are about 15 million participants. Um, that was the last survey that was done in 2021. 
So it's less than 5% of the population um, that are hunters. And then, you know, there's some reasons why we care and why that's important. Um, hunters help pay for wildlife conservation in America. That's our model. That's why we've been successful. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, but that that is the Pittman-Robertson Act, um, where when you purchase firearms or um, equipment, ammunition, there's a tax that um, is paid on those items. And it goes back towards wildlife conservation and habitat restoration. Um, it's a pretty neat model if you think about it. It's a user pay system, and the more hunters we have, the better off we are with um, you know those those um, expenditures that we're looking at that need to be made by the state wildlife agencies. So then the other part of it is hunting's a, a huge industry. We generate billions of dollars uh, for the economy. We support thousands of jobs. It's a really big deal. And so it's it's vital to a lot of things. But, you know, the main thing is wildlife. So it's a wildlife management tool. It's good for our economy, provides funding for conservation. So it's just good. Hunting is a good thing. Um, and NWTF has really wanted to stay on the forefront of that so that all of our efforts are the best that they can be. And and I'll give you an example of that. So what R3 has helped us do is look at the events that Teresa helps uh, plan and coordinate on, you know, with our volunteers. If if we are looking to host an event in an area, we want that to be the best that it can be. So we don't want to just host another recruitment event if there are a ton of recruitment events in that area. We would rather use our efforts to possibly host a mentored hunt that would, um, you know, fall into that retention area. So people might get um, multiple opportunities to try it. Um, so it just helps us. It's a way of looking at the activities that we engage in and how best we can um, serve that state. Um, and then I guess the other thing is, you know, hunting is important. All of this work that we do is important because we want hunting to remain relevant. You know, will we ever mm -hmm. be able to increase the number of hunters? I don't know if we'll ever be able to increase that or sustain it, but what we are doing is educating people who are voters. And so when they, if they can appreciate and support hunting, that's important too, because when they vote, they'll remember that support for hunting. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many people that I talk with because I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Um, and I had some of my extended relatives that were kind of on the peripheries would occasionally hunt. And a friend of mine introduced me to fishing in college. And that was like how, you know, opened up this big world to me. I was like, Oh my God, I had no idea that this existed. And I've since then, I met so many people who, um, you know, I tell them about like, oh, you know, I hunt and I hunt turkeys, I trap, blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, my like my grandpa used to hunt or my uncle hunts. And they have a, sort of a peripheral relationship with it to where it it makes sense to them because they've had some point of contact with it versus, you know, having no grid for it at all. Um, but something I wanted to ask was. So from a, from like a, uh, um, 
oh, what's the word for it? Um, like a programming perspective, um, when you look at somebody's journey from being like totally not exposed to hunting at all to being somebody who is kind of a self-sustaining participant, what does that look like? How many points of touch are there in that journey typically? Well, it's that's that journey is as unique as that person is. So for some people, you know, they may pick up hunting after just one or two um, points of contact. But for others, it may take a lot of opportunities. And I'm one of those people that it it, it took um, me a while <laughs> because mm-hmm. um, and this is actually typical. For women, we've seen this in the research that we uh, have participated in with responsive management. But women typically want um, to know everything they can about hunting and shooting, and they want to feel comfortable and safe and feel, um, you know, like they could be able to hunt on their own without having to rely on someone else. So mm-hmm. for me, um, it took me, I didn't grow up around guns. So mm. the shooting part of it was maybe the biggest obstacle for me as um, <laughs> I was um, um, left eye dominant and right handed, right hand dominant. So cross oh, wow. dominant. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty common too. But um, that's why I was having trouble, you know, shooting. And my husband is trying to teach me, which is just not always the best thing because I didn't want to. <laughs> disappoint him and he's getting frustrated you know it was just Mm -hmm. um it was like a a, it took me a while to feel comfortable with a gun and i wanted to know that i could be successful and you know that i was going to make a clean shot and that kind of thing so it just took me a while um and but i was very lucky to have him to take me multiple times and and when i got frustrated to work through those frustrations Um, but there are others that you know they just pick it up right away and move on so um, it just really depends but one thing i will say is very hard for one organization um, to provide all that's needed to move along that path we have to partner with others um, in order to make that happen um and we we see that that's one of the obstacles, you know, that people might really like it and want to hunt again, but then they don't have um, somebody to take them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the issue we see with um, youth. If their parents don't hunt, they're likely not going to be able to hunt until they can go on their own. Um, you know, if they don't have some a parent or a guardian or somebody that will take them back, whereas a college student or a young adult, if you teach them to hunt, they have the means to go back and, um, you know, and try it on their own. So I would say one of the really neat things about R3 is that um, we've really focused in on bringing new audiences to hunting. So for many years, uh, hunting, you know, was kind of seen as the um, old white man, um, Mm -hmm. you know, sport and the statistics you know, back that up. That's typically who hunted for many years. But now we're seeing that more women are coming to the field to hunt. And uh, we're also working really hard to bring in new audiences, whether that's families or people of color or um, just people that haven't grown up around hunting at all. And 
are interested in maybe the food side of it. Um, the the main thing is that our America's changing and our nation is diversifying really fast. So I think it's um, you know then it, the world's aging. I think by I think it's 2035 there will be more adults than youth. Mm. Um, we're we're seeing that um, all of these changes, the values of wildlife. So typically um, we saw that people were traditionalists where they believe that wildlife is used as a, like a resource. Um, now we're seeing more people with a mutualist view of wildlife. So they're they're seeing animals as companions and that they should have similar care and rights as people. So even the way people view wildlife has changed and all of that comes together and creates a different world than we previously lived in. So we need to adjust um, the way that we reach people and who we reach. Um, Gilbert, one of the most important things that I've seen lately, you asked if I've seen things change. Um, we recently heard from responsive management who's been conducting research in the conservation and hunting heritage field, I don't know, for probably 30 or more years. Um, they do every year, they conduct a, um, a survey. And in the survey, they're looking at Americans' attitudes towards hunting and target shooting. And for the first time, um, I think this survey has been done since 1995. And we we saw a, um, a big change. I'm sorry, I can't talk. We saw a statistically significant change in the results of this survey in that um, overall the approval of hunting, and this is legal ethical hunting, decreased by mm. 10 million Americans. And this is something I, I shared at NLC. That equates to the disapproval of hunting increasing by 13 million Americans. Mm. So um, this is alarming. Um, typically, we saw about 80 percent of Americans approved of legal ethical hunting. And so that number has declined to 77 percent, which may not sound like much. But when you think about that's 10 million Americans, um, it's a big deal. and. Mm -hmm. So I think as hunters, um, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are representing hunting in a good light, that we're, um, you know, thoughtful about the pictures that we post and the uh, messages that we send and make sure that we're promoting ethical, safe hunting Um I, um, one of the things I'm proud of the NWTF for, we're leading a national campaign called Hunt for Good. And it doesn't have our logo on it, doesn't have anybody's logo on it, because we want that campaign to be supported by everybody in the hunting community. And we already have a lot of different partners, including state wildlife agencies and NGOs and industry as part of that campaign. But the campaign is to promote support for hunting. So the messages, and, and we did research on what messages resonate with people, but the bottom line is hunting is good. 
Um, and it's kind of like the Got Milk campaign that mm-hmm. uh, took place many years ago. You know, it's just to keep hunting top of mind. And there are all these different messages um, within this campaign that can be customized. But um, some of it, you know, is educational and some of it's whimsical, um, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. But it's um, it's a great campaign and the timing is wonderful. And that we've just seen this uh, research come out that supports the need for it. So um, I think Teresa can share, you know, some of the ways we've seen our events change in light of R3. Mm, Yeah, Um, I wanted to real quick before we before we jump over, because I think people are going to hear those numbers and they're going to be like, oh, my God, (laughs) it's that's a scary statistic. Um, And I think like as people we have the sort of um natural instinct to sort of when we're presented with change or presented with um the world is changing around us we have this instinct to sort of shore up the walls and kind of circle huddle up and and not reach out and i correct me if i'm wrong but i I think part of what I'm hearing you saying is like now more than ever is the time that uh, the hunting community needs to be building bridges, Uh, building bridges with different communities, different people who maybe weren't, didn't have a seat at the table um, or who in a lot of cases, like uh, particularly in the the South where you have um, these communities, people of color who have a long, rich tradition uh, in hunting in you know, bird dogs or in, you know, a number of other things um, that maybe we're not, there's not like awareness of that from like a national perspective Um, speaking as like a, a Missourian, like I didn't really know that, you know, a couple of years ago that there was this really strong tradition of hunting um, in the black community in the South. That just wasn't like something I had heard of. And there's all of these other sort of groups, um, organizations uh, that, that we can partner with. um, And it's not like the hunting community versus the world. It's, you know, this multiplicity of people who have um, a value for wildlife and a connection to the land and, and to nature that um, all kind of have the same goal, which is, you know, making sure that wildlife um, are healthy and accessible for our enjoyment. Um, But it kind of means like making some of those unusual partnerships that we, and I, I see that kind of stuff all the time, whether it's we're partnering with, you know, a, an NGO or partnering with an, an agency or partnering with a, you know, a power company or, you know, fill in the blank. There's all of these different sort of um, ways in which we can build friendships and, and alliances with with people that that can help the future of hunting um, look bright and it not to have to be like looking at these statistics and, and feeling hopeless because um, there's a decline in, in overall approval. Yeah, definitely. We um, partnership has always been important to us many years ago. I think it, Teresa was at 2000. 17, we hosted a partnership um, volunteer training with Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, um, 
I can't remember if there was anybody else involved, but we, when we hosted that event, I remember people kind of scratching their heads going, why would you, you know, partner up with your, um, what could be seen as your competitors. But that was probably one of my favorite events that we've held and the partnerships and the um, things that came out of that event you know we saw people go back and work with other chapters and it really goes back to that retention um, area of focus where people need multiple experiences so partnerships have have been an important part of building this r3 um, initiative with nwtf but those partners have expanded like you're mentioning um, to some non-traditional partners that um, you know energy companies like you mentioned we've worked with um, diversified energy we've um, received grants to specifically work in urban areas where people might not have access um, to mm-hmm. learn more I know you've um, you've you've hosted some podcasts where we've talked about some of that work in those urban areas um, like New York with Cliff Cadet and mm-hmm. um, you know some of his efforts there we've partnered with all different kinds of groups and is still looking to add to that. And, and I think that's, that's another change. You asked what, you know, changes I've seen. That's one that people are more willing to partner now. And we've realized that that's the only way we'll make a difference. And as we're working to um, include more people and make um, hunting open to people from different backgrounds, you know, ages, ethnicity, different beliefs. I mean, it's, you're seeing really the outdoors are open to anyone, but also there are people who are willing to mentor, very knowledgeable people that are willing to mentor and take the time and pass that on. Um, you know, I've heard people say before, well, I don't want more hunters, but, um, you know, you have to really stop and, and think that the future of hunting hinges on having lots of other people participate in the outdoors. And mm-hmm. um, we need all of those things, different backgrounds. And um, if you're not willing to take somebody with you or introduce somebody else, then then you're willing to let the hunting heritage that you have die. I mean, that's just all there is to it. I've, I heard someone speak one time and he said, what this generation doesn't consider a priority, it will not be relevant for the next generation. So if we don't take our kids and we talk about all these other audiences we want to reach, but we also have to take our own children and at least um, let them understand it. Like we've talked about earlier, if, if, and if it's not their thing, as long as they understand it and support it, you know, they're likely to support, um, support it later. But it's, it's just so important that we not be selfish and that we are willing to pass on these traditions or they'll be gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that's a perfect segue um, into something that you do, Teresa, um, with events and outreach. Um, can can you give us some of your thought? Do you have any thoughts on like what we've been talking about and how that relates to the work that you do? Absolutely. I I was just thinking um, when you asked the question about you know how does someone or how many touches does it take for someone to 
um, see themselves as a hunter, um, the way that we can do this as chapters within the National Wild Turkey Federation is offer classes that kind of ease folks into hunting. And by that, I mean, a lot of people want to know about the biology and the habitat and uh, things about the game in which they're going to hunt. So we have chapters that all the time offer one-on-one courses, whether it's for turkey hunting or for dove hunting, that sort of thing, where their first class, their first introduction into hunting is not actually going hunting. It's, it's sitting in a conference room and listening to a biologist talk or learning the difference between what a hen looks like versus a gobbler. Um, so they want the um, they want to understand it first before they go out and try to hunt. Um, some folks have uh, had that touch initially through going to a wild game dinner, where mm. the specific purpose of it was, "Hey, have you ever eaten wild game?" Would you like to come and try some wild game? And they come and they have dove or they have turkey, um, things like that, and they just taste it. And so their first introduction to hunting, not a hunt again, but it's tasting wild game and then saying, wow, I could actually hunt this for myself and not have to worry about going to the grocery store to get uh, something like this. Um, so we have all these different uh, types of events that chapters can facilitate and participants can come to that open that door to them. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. It's kind of hard once you've kind of crossed that threshold and become a hunter. Um, it's it can be easy to forget like all of the soft skills, all of the little bits of knowledge that contribute to um, success in a hunt, or or even just a feeling like you kind of know what's going on. And 
I know for me, when I was learning to hunt, it, it was really intimidating and I was constantly like reading articles and, and trying to ask people questions about, Hey, what do I do? You know, when this happens or just where do you find turkeys? Like, I don't have no idea where turkeys live. And if you don't have those like touch points and, and the ability to, to draw from the knowledge of other people, or if people are not willing to share that knowledge, um, you know, how are you going to, how is it going to move on to the, to the next generation of hunters, which I think there is um, <laughs> there that culture has has changed um over over time you know i've listened to um uh tom kelly talk about that and about how secretive turkey hunting was in 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 the kind of previous generation and now i almost feel like it's probably a good barometer if people are are saying it's too accessible <laughs> to say, hey, we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I agree. Um, uh, so I guess uh, um, oh, there's so many things that I have so many avenues I'd like to to go go down. But um, something that I, I wanted to to kind of get into and this is for Teresa or Mandy um, or actually I'd love to hear both of your um, input on this is, you know, we talk about mentorship. I think a lot of people, um, even people who haven't been hunting for like that long, um, it doesn't take long for you to feel uh, like, Hey, I want to share this with people. Um, I want to, I want to bring other people along in this experience, you know, whether it's your, your buddy at work who maybe he's been camping a couple of times and he's gone to the shooting range with you. Um, or, you know, if it's your kids or a neighbor, um, if you're looking to be a mentor, um, where do you start? Like, what are the skills that you need to learn? What's the kind of gear that you need to have? Um, and what, like, kind of what would be your, like, one-on-one, hey, you want to start mentoring people in hunting. Where do you start? I think Teresa's going to take that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're both looking at each other. So um, <laughs> I think mentoring is so important. And I think for too long, um, folks have felt like they had to be these veteran hunters that grew up hunting and they've had 20 or 30 years under their belt, um, turkey hunting or deer hunting, whatever it is that they do. But I would, I would think that the very first thing that you need to be great at is safety. Um, you need to be very knowledgeable about gun safety about being in the field and and the safety aspects that you're looking for during that time. Not as much um, that you are 20 or 30 years under your belt veteran turkey hunter. Um, I think a lot of people feel like they need to be that, but I have taken folks on, um, or I have mentored folks on a deer hunt Um, not having had that many years experience myself, just knowing where to shoot the deer, knowing when, as far as uh, time in the day, you know, when it's too late to shoot, that sort of thing. Um, 
and but knowing the safety aspect, being able to sit in a blind with somebody who's very new, sometimes that kind of helps that individual not feel so nervous about it because they're sitting with someone who is not that far ahead of them in learning how to do that. Same thing with turkey hunting as well. Um, finding the appropriate mentor is as important as anything. Um, mm. I, I, like you, did not learn how to hunt until I was much older than you, though. I was in my 40s when I learned how to hunt. And as an example, I had a young person take me out in the field to turkey hunt. And it was a ladies-only hunt. And we were the only ones out of all the ladies that saw a turkey. And this individual was not sitting right next to me. He was kind of back off at another tree. And a turkey came about. And it was in the low country where you have a lot of these uh, low-standing type of plants. And even though he could see the bird and he kept saying, shoot it, shoot it, I could not see the bird. And when we got back to camp, I felt ridiculed because here I'm the only one that saw it and I didn't shoot the bird. And I came back feeling very upset and didn't want to hunt any longer based on that mentor. So I think you can know the ups and downs of turkey hunting. You can know the ups and downs of safety. But if you can't sit with someone on their level and help them feel comfortable whether or not they shoot and be able to, you know, explain things that you've learned along the way, um, you shouldn't be a, a mentor. It could really totally um, take away that person's interest in furthering um, that of becoming a hunter. That's such a good point because, you know, there's so many things that I, I feel like we're all guilty of of making making the assumption that somebody else should know something or should be able to do something and you take somebody in the woods and they don't know they they don't know how to do whatever you know thing it is and if you go in with with the wrong sort of set of expectations um, as a mentor and that can you know set those kind of situations up where it's a bad experience which is obviously the last thing that we want and we <laughs> that's this sounds like such a bummer yep absolutely and one sure of the things i'm sorry i was going to say one of the things Teresa has worked on um with our chapters is developed a resource for mentor training. So, uh, you know, one of the things we've seen in hosting events over the years is that sometimes people don't know what's expected of them as a mentor. So just covering some of those basics and offering, um, you know, before the event a, a time to meet with your mentors and cover some of those basics and just help them to be mindful. It's very successful. Um, the other thing we've seen, and I think this is so neat, some of our chapters have a system where if you attend an event and, you know, maybe you attend a couple of events and hunts and you are interested in becoming a mentor, 
then you can serve as a mentor and continue to be a part of that event, but in a different role. Um, I think that's that's a really good. It's sometimes very hard to find mentors for hunts. Um, we hear that a lot from our chapters. So helping them to feel confident, like Teresa mentioned, you don't have to be an expert, um, but offering some training, giving them the opportunity to flip the script and go from being the participant to the mentor. We've seen a lot of success in that. Yeah, um, I guess so. Um, that's a that's a great segue into um, what sort of um, events do we have happening right now? What are you guys excited about? Um, kind of what's on the horizon? We can maybe talk about foreshadow some of um, what we have going on for Conservation Week if we have some of that info. If not, no worries. But um, what's kind of happening in, in that that realm with us? Well, I know that we have, um, I don't have a specific list. I, I should have pulled a specific list for that. <clears throat> but I know that we have some, um, in New Jersey, we have a great volunteer, Christina McGannon-Jones. She has been doing a lot of work with our Women in the Outdoors program and basically um, facilitating a camp where they come in and they learn a lot of the basics, like I was sharing earlier. Um, they shoot just to get a little experience, you know, shooting prior to going out into the field. And then they conclude the event with a deer hunt. So we have chapters that are facilitating events such as that um, happening all around. And if you're in an area, like, let's say, Texas, um, and you want to get connected you want to find out what events are happening uh, maybe you want to see if there's a, a mentored hunt that's happening close to you how do you find that information so you would go to our web website at nwtf.org and um, you can click on you can click on events and there will be a drop down menu where you can enter the state in which you live. And you can also put in a radius of a zip code so that you can find events that are located near you. And you can search and see what you got going on out there near where you live. All right. All right. And also, um, if uh, for for people who have not have not delved into uh, our new website, there is also um uh tell you what i'm gonna pull this up really quick so i don't totally butcher the flow on our main page if you we have a find a chapter um section and if you want to find your state um and local chapters you want to get connected with um you know a local regional director that help make a lot of these events happen um, want to get involved with the banquet any of that stuff can be found there um and i guess before uh before we wrap things up um what would be your and again that mandy and Teresa, um your big sort of takeaways that you would want people to, to have about um, number one, like when, when we're thinking about R3, when we're thinking about um, bringing new people into hunting or bringing 
people back into hunting who have, you know, been on the sideline for a while, like what's your, your number one go-to piece of advice to tell people, Hey, do this, um, start here. What, what is, what is that for you guys? I think for me, it's just finding what you're passionate about and what you enjoy. Um, if you're new to hunting, try different types of hunting. Try squirrel hunting, try deer, turkey, dove, because just just because you don't care for one species doesn't mean that you wouldn't enjoy the others because they're so different. And, um, you know, I think I had been deer hunting before and I was like, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but turkey hunting, man, the first time I we called and Turkey called back. My heart just fell to my toes. And I was like, okay, now I get it. I mean, this is so (laughs) much fun. And dove hunting being so social, you know, Mm. um, I love dove hunting as an introductory. Um, I just think, you know, just enjoy find out what you like some people don't want to take a gun but they enjoy going and sitting with their loved ones and being outdoors and you know the first time you hear the woods wake up it you'll just never forget those things so it's not all about the harvest i think there's um a lot of emphasis on that sometimes but there's more to it than that you know um so that's kind of what i think about on a personal level also I think sometimes R3 can be intimidating because it is science-based. It's just, it's the science behind what we're doing. No different than conservation is based on science. You know, we're just looking at this through the lens of the outdoor recreation model. And that can be a little bit intimidating. But for any chapter out there that wants to get started, um, you know, any chapter can do something. It doesn't have to be com- complicated. Um, we can help you. And that's what Teresa is great at, um, is helping chapters find what they're passionate about and how they can give back, um, you know, to this side of our mission, to the preservation of our hunting heritage. So I would encourage everybody, if there's a person listening that's part of a chapter and they haven't uh, hosted an education or outreach event, I'd encourage you to get in touch with us because we can help you do that. And it is so rewarding. And we hear that when we're at convention or at our leadership conference. There are a lot of people in this organization that this is, you know, this is it for them. This is what they're passionate about. And once you host one, I'm telling you, you'll you'll want to do it every year because it's such a great way to give back. Absolutely. And Teresa, what's your uh, your closing thought for us? Well, one of the things I thought about when you uh, just mentioned about, you know, hunting would be that a lot of times there are people that are around us that are within our sphere of influence that just need to be asked. Hey, have you ever thought about hunting? Do you want to go with me? Um, Hunting is also about relationships. If you really get down to it, um, we have been on hunts where we've had volunteers with us. Um, I know personally my very first hunt, I was like you. I thought, where in the world have I been all these years? You know, to hear the morning wake up the way that it does and the volume is is increasing little by little by little. And that was life changing for me, completely life changing. Yes, I, 
I became a hunter, but it was so much more than that in, in reality. And Mandy can tell you when we left after a few days of spending time together with other folks who had common interests to hunt, I was, tears were just streaming down my face. I won't tell you what she said to me, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is life changing um, to be a part of NWTF, to be a part of a hunting organization and have fellow hunters that you consider friends that you can go out together and you know whether you harvest anything or not you're able to spend time with that person in in the woods in the turkey woods or the deer woods um so it's important that we do what we can um whether we're volunteers or staff to try to bring a new generation into hunting, into learning about hunting and being able to go out and, and hunt for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the communal aspect of hunting is it can't be understated. It's so powerful. Um, and I guess uh, that's kind of a, a perfect wrap up. If we, if you have questions, you want to get involved, you know, get a hold of a local chapter, get a hold of um, a regional director, um, Talk with, you know, email Mandy or Teresa, get get a hold of someone, you know, the 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 sort of future of hunting depends on really on volunteers and on people who just give their time to to bring people into it and to to pour into people's lives and and make meaningful connections with the people around them. Um, And thank you again, Mandy and Teresa for being on, uh, for sharing your, your wisdom with us and, and giving us some of the insights of, about what you all do. Thanks for having us. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com.